Welcome to Monday Mornings with Michelle, the new business podcast. Whether you're kicking off your day or kickstarting your business, Michelle is going to kick your ass into next week with the essential fours. Strategy, systems, support, and state of mind. Now, welcome to center stage, Michelle Nedelec. Hey there, peeps. This is Michelle Nedelec, and I'm super glad that you're with us here today because I'm here with my most amazing guest, Chuck. Chuck, thank you so much for being here today with us. Thank you, Michelle. I really look forward to our, our meeting here. It's going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> it's going to be a ton of fun. We were already discussing things before we started the recording, so you guys are going to be in for a treat. Uh, give us a 5,000-foot view of who you are and what you do. My name is Chuck Clayton, and I, my primary background education and experience is in mechanical design development engineering, and also in a little bit in business. I've also done a lot of different types of things, such as systems engineering, quality engineering, Six Sigma expert, all these wonderful things. About five years back, I got into poker, and I just found it absolutely fascinating, especially with an engineering background, the mathematics just absolutely blew me away. Um, it, it sounds uh, kind of interesting because people hear about the mathematics. It's 52 cards. How can there be that much to it? You know, <laughs> There's, you know, four suits and 13 cards per suit. That's so what, you know, big deal. But when you start breaking it down, it gets really fascinating. And so the mathematics leads you into that part of it, which is the left side of the brain. And then you start looking at the right side of the brain, which is the intuition of, of when you sit at a table and you look at people and you study them and you start learning all sorts of all sorts of incredible things that can help you in the outside world, in the business world, in the in, uh, in life. Uh, it's even been related a lot to the military and so forth. So poker is like a microcosm of the real world. Nice. And today we are going to be picking Chuck's brain as to how this all works in the business world because I happen to love poker from the analytical side. Uh, not an avid player by any stretch of anyone's imagination. <laughs> anyone's. Oh, we um, might be able to change that. <laughs> yeah, really. You never know. <laughs> this, this, this could change a lot of things for me. Um, but I do love the aspects of it that you're talking about, both the, the mathematical side and the intuitive side in how we translate that into business. So. Stick around, guys. You are going to absolutely love this. So let's kind of back up the bus a bit and tell me about poker in its essence. What are the skill sets that you need to be able to kind of maximize it, to make, take advantage of it? Michelle, thank you. The primary game that I play is called Texas No Limit Hold'em. They called it the Cadillac of poker. It is so complex. Uh, well, it takes an hour and a half to learn. And uh, basically it's been said that it takes a lifetime to master and I can understand that. Uh, to give an idea of the complexity of it, they're even using artificial intelligence to try to understand how to beat the game. It's that fascinating. Uh, the depth of the game is, it seems relatively straightforward. Uh, every person at a table, uh, a full table is essentially nine or 10 people and everybody's uh, dealt two cards down out of a 52 card deck. Then there is a round of betting. And uh, after that round of betting, some people are in the hand and some people are not. If it goes to the, what's called the flop, which is three, uh, what they call community cards are flipped over on the table and flop kind of makes sense. That's why it's called that. And then there's another round of betting 
then the next one is the turn and that I, my understanding is that name came from the old river boats where they used to play poker and where they used to turn down the river right and the final one uh and then around a betting and then the next card and final card is called the river and then if two people are in at that point there's one more round of betting and then the hand is over and the reason it's called the river is as i mentioned in the old river boats uh they would throw the cheaters into the river <laughs> so that's my understanding of one of the stories of where where those names came from so they're pretty easy to remember by the fourth round we know or by the fourth you know handset or whatever they like hot see now you know that i'm not really into the poker that much but they know already that many cards in that somebody's cheating <laughs> or not <laughs> but it's kind it's, of impressive <laughs> It, it what's fascinating and especially to some of the old time players Doyle Brunson's considered the grandfather of of of, uh, of uh, poker okay and Texas no limit hold'em and he him and some of the other earlier guys I don't know if it was him in particular but some of the early guys were like shaking their heads that now it's become a very honorable game <laughs> you know because they used to go into places and I'm not saying you know who uh, did what but it wasn't people would get beat up people would get shot you know all sorts of things it was a totally different world many years ago it's become a very respectable game uh cheating is incredibly frowned upon today which is really good and so it's it's a fascinating game that uh because of the fact that there is an incredible amount of luck in this game is that basically everybody can play it is a game um, like some things in life that we see that the ability to uh, fool yourself, what do they call that, Michelle? And when you, you know, you fool yourself. Um, um, I'm at a loss, <laughs> but that's yeah. okay. We got it. Basically, <laughs> you, as I said, you, um, you, you tell yourself something that's not really true. Uh, poker player people can come in they've never played the game before and then they win and they think they're fantastic <laughs> they have no <laughs> idea sure how people lucky they think got. that way about everything that they're good at the first time they try yeah. yeah and and poker's different because and i'll give you a, a quick story is uh chris moneymaker uh back in 2003 played the world series of poker as the first mate or a tournament that he uh, um live tournament that he ever played in and he won a seat through a company called poker stars and so he went there and he actually ended up winning the event. So a complete amateur won the event. Chris Moneymaker, you gotta love the name, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, it, it propelled poker and within three years, they had something um, many times the number of players playing in the main events and it became uh, <laughs> a difficult, but what people thought an easy way to make a buck and not have to work. And it's a lot more difficult and complex than people think. They're just layer after layer after layer. And it's just like life and it's just like business in which uh, you think you get some of it. But with poker, the variances are so high that, that uh, you can go out and be a complete amateur and beat a world-class player in the short run, in the very short run. And it's not like, you know, if you go out swimming when Michael Phelps was at his best, What's your chances of winning against him? Even if you just you started like 18, you're a super athlete, you swim four years in a row, you you eat, sleep, drink, swim. What do you think the probability is beating him is probably close to zero, right? Same Unless thing with Tiger Woods. Totally having a bad day. 
Yeah. Well, a bad day is going to have to break a leg. I'm not be able to move. Fair enough. And that that's the whole thing about this. But with poker, it's totally different. And so people that uh, self-delusion, that was the word I was looking for. But but self-delusion, I've never seen anything like it in poker. And people think they're so much better than they are. I'll sit at a table and I just watch what hands happen and how these people got incredibly lucky. And they have no idea <laughs> what's going on. And it's their, what I call their night. And mm-hmm. when you look at a poker uh, room, you'll find the same thing, just like in business and just like in life. The same group of people at the will be at the final table people that you'll know and that'd be four to six of them and then two or three are there and they have no idea how they got there (laughs) but it was their day to do really well and have the cards fall in their favor and maybe they did a few things right and that's the that's the fascinating part of poker that drives every single poker player absolutely nuts (laughs) but it's part of the game Oh, I love it. And it sounds to me very much paralleled with golf and business <laughs> because people do the exact same thing. It's like they hit a home run in, uh, not to use baseball analogy in business, but <laughs> they, it, it goes super well and they start their business and people want their stuff and they have a seven figure business and this is awesome. And they get bought out and they're like, yes, I am awesome in this go start something else and then they fall flat in their face and they wonder why <laughs> it's like well i don't understand i'm really good at business like well no that was a fluke and it was a lovely fluke so now you want to learn how to invest your money because you want to keep it for the rest of your learning experiences um and likewise in golf you can certainly like we all know people that go out and have a great run of golf but then long term it's yeah they're not playing tiger woods in their first night so right. in the fascination to me is the simplicity, the luck, and yet it's not like you're playing go fish with a little kid and that somehow, you know, I mean, somehow strategy can trump because if somebody asks for the same card a couple of times and you're smart enough to know that they're asking for the same card, you can figure out how to outsmart the other person uh, <laughs> when you get that one card. Poker seems to be a lot more complex than just luck. So how do uh, if you can explain, how does somebody get lucky and and play against top players when it is such a game of finesse? When you have skills, you're, uh, as you sit at the poker table, you watch, when you first start playing poker, the first thing you look at is your hand. Do I have a great hand? And let's say you get pocket ace, and that's the best hand in poker, no question about it. But there's always a but, 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 and I'll explain that in a second, but <laughs> however. <laughs> so you get a hand and you decide to bet. That's the very first stage and that's the normal stage for everybody. And then you start thinking, what's the other person got that they're calling a bet or betting or raising or whatever. Then you start thinking about what type of player it is, just like in life. You know, you've got the very tight, nitty type players. You got the, the loose, aggressive pair players, which are going to play anything. Um, you got the the cannons. They call the maniacs, and they they become a little bit less because today uh, the people are good enough that they just don't last long. I played a guy the other day um, in a tournament yesterday, and early in the tournament, I, I can almost predict how long these people will be in the tournament within a range of time, just because of the by the way they play. So now that you see what they play, uh, you start predicting 
what they potentially have in their hand by what's on the board. Some people are very readable. And the biggest thing is in communication in poker is betting. And you tell all sorts of stories. With a, uh, a bet, you may be asking a question. It's what's called a pro bet. It's a small bet, but it's like, I have something, um, but I don't have that much. Do you have anything? And then you may come back with a, um, you may call me because you have something too, or you may raise me, okay? Or like what happened yesterday, and I talked to a friend of mine, and he, he did a really good bluff on me where he called me twice with absolutely nothing. And then the third time, because the board hit a potential flush, which is a very good hand, he made a bet and I folded. And I found out later that he had bluffed me. And I should have put that in the equation. And so even though I'm, even when you're relative, you know, you're very experienced, you still get uh, tricked. But that's a beautiful thing about having friends and things like this. Then they tell you, then it's like, I got to put that more into the equation for myself. And as you learn, uh, like I said, you see what other people are playing. You see how they play. Money management is huge, just like in business. People have no idea what they're doing. They make these extra large bets. That tells me that they're a cash player. Just like in business, when somebody does certain things that tells you about them, it communicates who and what they are. Betting is, is the communication. It's not you know, you got pocket aces. And so like, oh my gosh, you know, that's not what happens. But when they bet, the it's not just the size of the bet, but how they move their hands in the pot. Because people, you become so microsensitive to what's happening in there uh, that you see all sorts of things if you're very observant. And this helps when you're working in business or life or anything else, as you, you see what people are doing. When you have a big deal and things like that, you look for incredibly subtle things that are happening and, and they'll come out in words, they'll come out in nervousness and poker players are really good. So if you're dealing with a poker player, you're not going to see the same type of things. You're going to have to look even deeper. That makes sense. Absolutely. By, by the, as I said, in poker, it's the way they move their hand. Now, some of them try to be mechanical. That's and that's almost humorous at times <clears throat> because that has its own set of problems. Okay, so the whole thing, and then there's also bluffing. Of course, everybody, anybody who plays poker, the first thing they want to do is bluff. <laughs> and bluffing is think of it as a spice. You know, you put a little bit of spice in your food, it tastes great. You pour it on there, it's not going to taste any good at all. And and so all these skill sets that you learn um, and in, in poker and people, some I've heard people call it lying and I don't like that at all because bluffing is absolutely necessary. Mathematically in my uh, first book on poker, I actually talk about that because there's just not enough good hands. If you don't bluff, you know, it's just not gonna, it's not gonna happen. You cannot depend upon the hands. That's, it's, it, it, it's such a incredibly complex and interesting game because no matter how much you learn, uh, there's always more to learn, even the best players. So absolutely, that helps a little bit. Absolutely, it does. So when somebody's kind of learning that game, how long yes. in your experience does it take for them to learn how to bluff with finesse, as <laughs> opposed to mechanically? Like, is this is this something that people naturally take on, or is it a do they have to become mechanical first before <laughs> screw it up and lose money before they get it down pat? How does it work? 
I remember the first time I bluffed and I was just really nervous about it. I thought, oh my gosh, I could read it on my face and everything else. And I got it through and it was, I, I don't know how many, I, I had played two or three months or something like that. If it was even that long, I just wasn't a natural uh, bluffing type person and things like this. I think with some people it comes a little more natural, but what they have a problem with is they do it too much and then you start reading that. So you kind of put it in the equation. So if you have a pot and somebody makes a bet, and it costs you a third of the pot to call where you have something and you think that it's a bet, then you say, I have to be right, let's say one out of three times. So if you put that in the equation and say, if they're bluffing, I'm gonna win, then you decide to make the call or not. That's what kind of makes the game incredibly interesting and rich and also very, <laughs> very difficult at times, okay? So. That is awesome. So when you're, um... I see a direct correlation to when somebody's in the boardroom and they're negotiating something, if there's a deal coming down, people get nervous. They don't want to be undersold. They don't want to be oversold. They, they don't maybe have the capacity to, <laughs> to, to say, this is what I want and I'm sticking to it. And if we get it, great. And if we don't, we don't. And that's fine. Um, oftentimes there's this, there's a um, gap of what they're willing to accept and what they're not. And it's how do you play in that, in that gap in order to get a fair deal for everybody? I mean, some people aren't looking for a fair deal, but um, how do you correlate that skill set of being able to read people and how they're reaching for the pot and how they're dealing with their money when it comes to doing a sale in business, let's say? That is a, Michelle, that's a great question. Um, One of the key things in poker is to think ahead. It's not like chess where you can think several moves ahead, but you can think ahead. When you make a move, and I watch it so many times, you don't want to be flat-footed. So when I make a bet, I think to myself, especially where I'm in, and the, you know, I have a couple other people to go in front of me. I know the type of people they are. I know I got a really tight conservative player in front of me, and they raise me. I know if they raise me a certain amount, I'm probably going to fold. I already know that before hand. And what you're talking about a business deal, it's the same type of thing is run all the scenarios in your mind that you think could realistically happen. And then when you get into the scenarios and you make an offer or, you know, an offer is made to you, think about what it's going to be beforehand. Now you're not always going to be correct. It's just never going to happen. But if it's, if you've thought about it, then you have the capacity to do it. One uh, super good example and a very complex one and, uh, is on the Apollo 13 mission, if you're familiar with, with that, okay? Yeah. Uh, that's one of my, uh, I've studied a fair amount on that and uh, I've been very fortunate to meet many of the astronauts and uh, incredible human beings. Uh, Apollo 13, when they had an explosion and they almost lost the men in the vehicle, but they had done so much training over and over and over and over again that within an incredibly short span of time, they were able to put a set of plans together that got them safely home. So it became one of the greatest accomplishments. And it was because they thought ahead and they trained ahead and they thought through everything. And so in business, it's the same type of thing. What Don't go in there with just, we're going to make an offer and let's see what happens. Go in there. We're going to make an offer. 
with these type of people and how they've shown up in the past and what we know about them and how they're going to handle things, what are the potential results going to be? So even if it isn't the same thing, it'll be something where you already have pre-thought it. Okay. And then be able to answer it and make a decision, especially when you have to make a fairly quick decision. Um, that's especially important. Well, and, and you bring up a great point is that I think a lot of people don't realize that they need to be able to make quick decisions in the, in the boardroom, virtually or yes. otherwise, um, because they think, oh, okay, this is what I want. This is what I'm going to get and this way it goes down. And they're not anticipating that somebody might throw <laughs> a, uh, a curveball at them. And I, I don't know what it is with me today. <laughs> Going on baseball analogies with you. No, it's, um, it's good analogies. It's good analogies. <laughs> no, analogies are fantastic. It helps I, to me. It helps people learn and things like this. And so, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. <laughs> no worries. Um, but I'm not a baseball aficionado either, so that's what's kind of cracking me up about this. Maybe that's why they're all coming up. So, how how does understanding the concepts of poker and and the concepts of winning poker help? improve some of the skill sets of a business owner? In, oh, some of the skill sets, there's just so many. Risk management, okay? What's your equity? There's home equity, there's business equity, there's poker equity, okay? When you, if you have pocket aces and I have pocket queens, if I know you have pocket aces, uh, you're going to win about 82% of the time. I just know that. So if you make a, a a small bet, then I'm going to know what to do because I know what your equity is. Now, you don't know what the other person is playing, but sometimes you can estimate what they probably have. If, if I have a uh, four five or a, a four fives on the board of multicolored, and there's a reason I'm saying that, that's and uh, a king, and then uh, and I have a um, six, seven, okay, then I have what's called an open-end straight, and there's a bottom and a top, and there's four cards on each side, which means eight cards, and then eight times two is equal to 16%, and the reason I say two, that's called the rule of two, the only reason it works, 52 cards goes in 100 almost twice, so if you want your percentage, you do that, so if you make a bet of 15%, I'm making a 1% over the long run, okay, mm-hmm. but does that make sense, so you're, you're, <laughs> you're you try to make <laughs> positive equity, what's that? I said, if you're good in math and you can follow yeah. you, it does. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But that's it's not how I'm out of peeps. So it's, it's, it's about confidence. Um, it's about adaptability. It's about decision-making, uh, thinking strategically as you, uh, these are the type of things that are equally important. So when you're sitting at the poker table, you're doing all these things at once. You're trying to think about it. That's what's so fascinating about, and uh, it's mathematics and pattern recognition. The, uh, I mentioned before, and there's been an um, artificial intelligence program that has won against six of the top world players, and they use pattern recognition and mathematics. And pattern recognition is huge also. What are the patterns? You know, when, when you look at anybody, what do you know? Okay, just by looking at my room here, what do you see? Okay, mm-hmm. what are you seeing right now that you can see? I see a door, a bookshelf, and a picture with a whale fin, I think. That's a shark fin, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, but 
Uh, I have a bunch of books on my shelf and it's, it's, it's not unless my picture's big enough, but that second row is all poker books. Okay. For example, and the top book is all sorts of other things. Now we're not in, in the room, but that's um, whenever I go to somebody's place and I see books, I go to let, see what books they have. And then I also go to see if there's, if, there's anything about them that shows that they've been reading them a lot. Okay? I was say, if the spine's broken. Have you actually I mean, read some people just put up books. I <laughs> I love buying books. I must yeah. admit. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, it's it's not for everybody, and I was I just uh, was writing for this all author. I was mentioning, and that was a question: is you know, have I always wanted to be a writer? When I was a kid. You couldn't sit me down long enough to read. So I would read comic books. And I found out years later, my mother let me read comic books because that was the only thing I'd read. Mm -hmm. So that she got me, you know, and it wasn't until years later and nobody inspired me. Well, I had a professor and he had all this list of hundred books that the, the educated person should read, which I looked at, but that wasn't what inspired me. It was just that I realized that you take a book and all the knowledge of hundreds if not thousands or tens of thousands of hours are crushed and you can learn at least get a peek into somebody's psyche and knowledge base within 10 hours or so and you don't know everything i know but you know a lot so i've i've fallen in love with books over the years oh dude and i love cartoons because to me cartoons you have to take yeah, a page worth of words and summarize it down into whatever fits in the little chat bubble across the page and still get your point across. So to me, cartoons are actually not better reading, but they're, they allow the, the author or they, uh, they allow it, but they um, force the author to be able to hone in their words as precisely and concisely as possible in order to get the point across. And I think it also allows for the creativity of the reader to be able to step into the action of how the author sees that playing out. Because I have noticed in a traditional written book, people create their own image of what they think that meant. What do they think a parlor means? What do they think it means when it's you know, adorned in rich reds? You and I can have completely different visions of what that looks like. Whereas when you have a cartoon, you're kind of buying into the whole experience of how that author feels. So I quite like them. And in fact, games like poker and things like economics, I will often read the cartoon version of the book <laughs> because they give me the visual that the, that the author has. And, and the whole reason I'm reading those books is to get that vision and not to own my own reality of what I think they meant. Right, right. And when I write, especially being books on mathematics, which a lot of people can consider dry as dirt, <laughs> I put quotes throughout the book. I do stories throughout the book to try to engage the reader. So it doesn't just become just this boring, monotonous things like this. And it's, it's, it took practice, but I have done pretty well at it. And that's the, uh, <laughs> in my book, last book before the poker book, which is on critical thinking, I actually did put cartoons in there, but yes, they, they explain incredible stories. Gary Larson is probably one of my favorites. Nice. <laughs> yes, some phenomenal cartoons that can tell you all sorts of things about human nature and life. Exactly. I think that's awesome. So getting back into the whole realm of poker as a 
as a tool to learn and understand business, negotiating, uh, strategic thinking. Talk to me for a bit if you want to. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, how do you teach somebody to, to think strategically? The best, to think strategically, the best thing to do would be uh, to play some hands of poker and then ask what they're thinking and then start asking questions. Because I have a lot of people, they say, well, I have such and such and this person bet me. I said, well, what position are you in? Think of business. You know, if you're the, you know, if you're Google, <laughs> it's going to be a little more negotiations than pop mom and pop store, right? Mm -hmm. So position is everything in poker, just like a lot of other things in life. It's really important. You say, what's your position? What kind of player is this? You know, are they capable of bluffing? Are they not capable of bluffing? Are they, if it depends upon the situation, how big was your stack size? How many, what's called big blinds? And I, I play tournament poker, cash poker. I can play and I have, but it's not, uh, I, I like the, but that's kind of like a merry-go-round where a tournament is a set time. So you only have so much time to, to make moves. So you're forced into a thing. So I just started asking a bunch of questions and then tell me about another hand and then they do it. The easiest, this can be done with almost anybody because as you lay the hand out, then you explain what you're thinking. And then after a while, they realize you're asking exactly the same questions over and over again. Just like when you're working with somebody or something else, what are all the questions you can ask? You may not know all the questions to ask the first thing, but after a while, you'll get used to them. Nice. And being a Six Sigma, <laughs> do you see a parallel in that, in the whole strategy of walking into a business, analyzing what they have going on, what the their processes are, and do you see a parallel there? Yeah, well, yes. I I taught Six Sigma a while when I came out here, and I also, I'd learned it when I was at uh, the Raytheon company, and I became a Six Sigma expert there. And you would go in and look at people's processes, things like this. And much of that was all about conversations. Some of the things they had in, in effect, some of the things they didn't. One of the best examples to me of a Six Sigma, and I, <laughs> I don't know what they called it, but I can almost guarantee it's there. Have you ever been to a Subway? Mm -hmm. Do you notice that you order a sandwich? Do you ever have it toasted? Mm -hmm. Do you ever notice it comes out perfectly toasted? Yes. <laughs> have you looked at have when you look at the machine now you we all know they have everything in front of you so you can get it just the way you like it right exactly. when you when they put in the oven notice that they have different buttons mm -hmm. all they have to do is press the right button for the type of sandwich and every mm -hmm. single time it comes correctly that's not by accident by any stretch somebody's had to go in analyze it try different temperatures different rates and things like this over the different types of sandwiches and some take 30 seconds or whatever and some takes 22 and things like this mm -hmm. but they know this so they've done the process so when you're first putting a sandwich shop and you want to bake it right I, anybody's it's going to be ruined half the time <laughs> if you let it go without a regular process mm -hmm. so you ask questions you observe you understand how people do it and how they react and what happens, and then you refine it, okay? And that's what Six Sigma is all about, which I really enjoy doing for a while. Nice. And it's the same thing here, is 
it's 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 about communication and figuring out what's going on by asking a series of questions and you know really listening to what what people are saying love that and if i haven't said it already the reason i love talking to you about poker is because there is the strategy to it there are the tactics to it there is the um people component, the interactions and communication and the intuition of it. So there's a lot of layers to it and complexity that allows me <laughs> to go in and start picking it apart and going, wow, that's fascinating. How do you do that? Where do you do that? Why do you do that? And, uh, and I, I think it parallels business so well that it's just fascinating. So um, give us an example, like who do you love to work with in business and who do you bring this to? Communication has always been um, a huge excitement to me when people uh, communicate what they need and things like this. For the work that I'm doing right now, it's it's close to being myself. But the people that I enjoy working business with, um, I have some uh, uh, real estate investments, for example, with a close friend of mine. And he communicates extremely well, but communication is probably the number is one of the number one thing. Also, of course, the person has to be extremely knowledgeable of what they're doing. I don't want to hang with, I, I really don't want to uh, uh, deal with the people who really don't know what they're doing. I mean, that, that there's so much time lost there, unfortunately. I mean, if I've done my homework and I've studied and researched and everything else, I want somebody who, you know, if they're supposed to be an expert more than me, I can ask a few questions just by studying a little bit and find out if they are. And if they are, then, uh, you know, we work. If they're not, then, then uh, but, but communication and expertise are the two things that I, I really look for. Nice. Because there are a ton of people that work with people that are brand new in business and love to go and do that exploratory conversation about what do you want to be when you grow up and all that kind of fun stuff. But <laughs> And, uh, and people can go to the podcast and find those people. We have a lot of them, but I do see that your strength is definitely in with somebody that they know their stuff. They're great at it. Like they have honed in their business skills and then they come and talk to you and work with you. And it just brings it up a whole new level. Well, that's the thing. And it's, it's just like, um, you know, you look for gaps and gaps are really hard to find in, in, in some things I was, uh, you bring out baseball and you, you, you come full circle here. I'm not sure how it works. But awesome. <laughs> one of the, um, one of the analogies in baseball is um, how it reflects or, or the skill sets in poker is uh, the mathematics just hasn't been done before. Now it's a multi-billion dollar industry. When I, Last time I checked, 100 million people around the world, 60 million in the United States. It's it's amazing. You know, that's that's almost one out of five people that play poker. And yet the mathematics is, in my humble opinion, wasn't really there. Um, and in, in the extent that it should be in a multi-billion dollar industry. So I found a gap in it. And that's been done before. Um and I'm going to tell you the story, but this this doesn't happen that often. It's taken me a long time to find something like this where it just kind of blew me away. And I kept asking the question, how did I come up with this? And I know part of it's just being a bulldog. Um, 
uh, it's a bad analogy, but Einstein, the reason that he did so well, because he just kept asking the question and never gave up, you know, on how the universe worked, what it felt like to write on a beam of light. And that took him from when he was 16 to 26, thinking about this. I mean, who does that, you know, <laughs> except either crazy Einstein. genius, one of the two, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't have anybody in between there. <laughs> there was a point he sat across from a uh, insane asylum and he wasn't sure who was the insane one. <laughs> Um, but in the baseball, uh, there's a movie called Moneyball, if you've ever seen yep. it with Brad Pitt. And it's about a guy named Billy Bean, who got, they got spanked in the Oakland athletics. And he went out and tried to figure out, and they only had a certain budget to get his baseball. But he got a, uh, in with a guy named Peter Brand. And Peter Brand was a, a um, uh, statistician, okay? And I believe he was from Yale. And they put together uh, people that, weren't necessarily the best players, but they could get on base, get runs and everything else. And so the next year they started rocky, rocky start, but by they ended up breaking the record of like 20, 20 some consecutive games in a row. So they got noticed and they got noticed by the Boston Red Sox who offered Billy Bean. And I forget the number off the top of my head, but it was huge sum of money, biggest any manager. He actually refused it. <laughs> and um but the boston red sox implemented it and it was like a couple of years later i believe it was and they won the world series and they hadn't won in 86 years which they used to call it the cursely bambino when when uh, babe ruth was sold okay from them and it was it's a fascinating story and and so even things that are huge have gaps in them so that's on a very my apologies on a very high level, but in business, it's the same thing. What are the gaps that a business has when you go in and say, you know, you've got all these skill set and everything else, but like pieces of a puzzle, look for the pieces that are missing and then go fill those pieces. Love it. Absolutely love it. So I guess that, uh, <laughs> I was going to say that kind of answers three questions in one there. I was going to ask you an example of one of your Cinderella stories of a client that you've worked with that um, kind of came in, what are their frustrations and how did it work out for them? Yeah, let's start. I've had a lot of stories. I just had one yesterday and it was, it was something that I always talk about in poker. Um, so you've got nine per people at a table. You and I are sitting at a table. You're in an early position. You have an ace with a small kicker. Do you stay in the hand or not? You know, uh, do you call a small bet or not? Not a clue. <laughs> yeah, well, you've got an ace. An ace is a... Is I think a, you keep it. Yeah. yeah. But you've got a, what's called a small kicker, like a three, and it's offsuit because the onsuit's a totally different story. Right. The probability, Michelle, of somebody else at that table being dealt an ace when you have one in your hand is 69%, okay? And that can change how you perceive aces and how to play them dramatically. And so let me get that right. If I have one in my hand, the odds of somebody else getting one also is 69%? Yes, ma'am. So there's four of them, so here's... <laughs> yeah, no, 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 don't, that, that, that's but exactly... There's no, four of them, no, I have yeah. one of them, that means there's only three of them, and depending on if I got it in the first round or not, that means that there's still going to be, what, 45 cards out there? That means that's three well, and well, how many? How many people? There's nine people, All right. so how many cards? 18. 
correct? Correct. No, that's exactly right. 18. <laughs> so you've got one of the aces. There's three left. Mm -hmm. Now, so out of the 50 <laughs> cards that are left, ah, there's still you know where 16 of them are. I mean, you know what I'm saying? They're in somebody's mm -hmm. hand. What's the probability of one of those aces, one of those three aces being in those 16 cards? When you start thinking about it that way, and you go, oh, because a lot of people, I ask them the question, oh, I don't know, 10, 15%. Oh, yeah, so I would have thought it was a lot lower. Now, this guy yesterday when I was playing, he, he, he communicated loudly. He was sitting right next to me, and he communicated clearly when he fold over an ace three and he'd make a large bet earlier because he tells me he doesn't even know he didn't know what he's doing you know to tell me anything else and sure enough i took i, I was one of the people that took some of his chips and he was out of the tournament relatively quickly because of the way he played because when he does that i know that he doesn't understand the cards i mean you have to have a feel for the cards just like you have to have a feel for the players just like you have to have a feel for when you're working with somebody what kind of an individual this what what are the interesting things to them you know Mm -hmm. um your your backdrop is interesting um it doesn't have a lot of things i can tell because a lot of things are notebooks and things like this but you got a genie lamp and that could be just the decoration or you're fascinated by genies i have no idea you also have another vase up there um for me it's up in the right hand corner and i'm you know whatever uh and you have very professional equipment the things that you've sent me is very professional and you know here's the checklist to make sure that everything goes right correct and everything else uh, you have what I'm guessing to be either tapes of some sort. It might be from the you know show and everything else and things like this. But just those little things you start you start really picking up on. A professor I had explained that when you walk into somebody's office, the first thing you do is look around. What's important to them? Because it will become clear. Are they a golfer? Okay. Do they like football? Do they like what? Okay. You know, when you see certain things, and even if a person isn't in shape, you know, they have something that indicates what they were. Well, where do you want to steer the conversation to get something where they're talking about and they're communicating with you, where they want to communicate with you because they, you know, they're interested because you're interested in what, what makes them tick. And once you get into that, you know, the, the game's open. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say game, the, you know, the oh, life's party's a game. open. Life's a well, game. Uh, it's yes a party. No. <laughs> yeah, it's a party. It's Look a party. at it as being fun and entertaining and not serious and taking advantage of people. And all of a sudden, it to me, it's a, even though I may have a skill set that allows me to perceive something about somebody else faster than they do, it's about my own character of I'm not going to take advantage of that information, but I am going to bring that up in the conversation in order for them to feel heard and acknowledged, even though it may be something they think they're hiding from the public. Right. So to me, learning the game of poker and somebody saying, yeah, but you're going to take advantage of people. It's like, okay, that's your shit. Not mine. <laughs> I don't know where that's coming from, but you know, you, you go deal with that shit. Because right, to right. me, it's a skill set that allows me to open up uh, people and to get to know them and have sincere conversations, as opposed to everybody wants to bluff. Like, well, not everybody, but if somebody that wants to bluff goes into a negotiation and a deal, it's because they're afraid of losing something. And if I know, based on the way they're acting, that they're afraid of losing something, and I acknowledge that, it's like, hey, I'm not here to take advantage of you. I'm not here to for you to lose anything. I want to know what's important to you and, and what you want to get out of this. And then like, 
how did you know that? I'm like, oh, it's kind of written all over your face. <laughs> like, yeah. Sorry if you were trying to hide that, but you know, so, you know, like I am not here to hurt you. So if you're going to feel hurt by something, let me know what's going to hurt you. And then we'll make sure that we avoid that mind pet. Now, all of a sudden we're having a completely different conversation than we would have been had I not recognized that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, you gotta, you gotta make a safe space. Um, poker's not a ordinarily safe space. When I asked this friend of mine and I said, I thought you, I, here's what I thought you had. And he had at the one that bluffed me and he's, he's kind of a friend. Okay. I mean, when I, you know, poker friend, I don't, we don't <laughs> hang out besides that, but I, because of the fact that I'm a lot different and it, dro it absolutely drove people nuts for a while, because I would explain at the table how things are done. Well, of course I have, a book to promote and things like this, but I'm also not worried about the fact that I'm going to, it, it, you know, if you really know your subject matter, um, what I'm giving to them is, is, you know, the big weapons are really deep ingrained, you know, and I've had people think, oh, I've got him, you know, <laughs> I had one guy do that and I actually one with a hand that, that was a really rare one, but I just, felt at the time it was the right that he made a small bet. I called it. And then I ended up taking all of his chips. And as I didn't think you had that hand, well, you know, uh, <laughs> that was, that was my goal. <laughs> that was awesome. So I know that our listeners are going to want more of you. How did they begin their journey with you? Well, the best way to, uh, is my website, which is www.masteringpokermath.com. Okay. Mastering and, uh, Com. Yes. And I have, um, I've got a couple books there of a course. If you're an audiovisual learner, the course is great. It's about five and a half hours. Um, it's really reasonable. Uh, if you play poker, if you don't play poker, uh, you know, anyway. best, but, but if you do, that's, it's a great course and had last a lot of questions and things like this. Um, the books, the first one, if you haven't played much poker, definitely the first one before you go to the second one. And then if you like that, you're going to really love the second one. Um, I do have a new project I'm working on right now, and uh, I it's uh, I'm working on a workbook for the other two books, so that's coming along very well. And I was gonna, um, I guess I'm at a point of kind of announcing that, so it's it's going very well. And, Yay! Congratulations! So it's that's awesome. Cool. So I have to ask you before you leave: At what point in life do you know? Did you know that you are a special kind of crazy enough to think that you could become an entrepreneur? Wow. I, first time I heard the word entrepreneur, I always um, thought it was awesome. And I'm trying to put how are the things that I've done differently than other people. Um, I think it goes back to my third book is just critical thinking. You know, I, I, I get into things and I've been I've been incredibly fortunate at, within the last several years to take two of the hobbies that I had and actually turn them into hobby businesses. <laughs> you know, that's, that's, that's a pretty good. And then I've also had other things well, where uh, I, I've got into stuff like that. So it's, 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 a, it's an ind almost an individual journey. Everybody has their own skills. Everybody has their own um, strengths. When I was growing up, my mother kind of believed I could do anything and I, good or bad, I believed her. <laughs> In, in some ways, and I, I, not anything, but I, but I'm not afraid to try things, and and some things have been very successful. Some things, well, let's not talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will, we will definitely. Uh, so. Thank you, Chuck, so much for your time. I know how valuable it is. I appreciate it. Thank you for being with us here today. Any last word for our peeps? 
No, just uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, poker I see, and one of the reasons I enjoy it so much is it is a microcosm of the real world and it can teach an incredible number of skills. And even if you don't play, learning a little bit about the game, because the way poker players think is a little bit different than other people. And knowing that will help, uh, you know, people in business. Love it. That is awesome. Thank you. This is Michelle Nedelec. Thank you for being here with us today. I love being a resource for entrepreneurs. So please give the show a five-star rating and continue listening to the Business Ownership Podcast. We love having you here. Thank you for listening to our show. I am all about being a resource center for entrepreneurs to give them the information and the support they need to make it in business. As such, I have Taking Your Business Digital Q&A every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Mountain. To register for that, go to awarenessstrategies.com slash digital. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L. I look forward to meeting you and actually finding out how you are. So see you on the flip side.